afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the inaugural show of Coyote Calls. I'm your host, Michael Cherpak, and I'll be with you every day after a game that the Arizona Coyotes play. And today we're going to be bringing you a lot of interesting news, being that we find ourselves actually in the playoffs for the time being. We're going to get into that and a little bit more right after a couple of quick announcements. Today's show is being brought to you by Sabaki Ball International. Sabaki Ball is an exciting five-on-five team sport, very similar to the strategies played in hockey. For more information on Sabaki Ball, go to sabakiball.com. That's S-A-B-A-K-I-Ball.com. jump right into it. Woohoo! The Arizona Coyotes find themselves in the second wild card position, just behind Dallas, actually two points behind Dallas. Arizona with 75 points in the standing now, and uh, Dallas just ahead of us in that first wild card position with 77 points. And the interesting thing is if you take a look at the standings, Coyotes are actually only six points out of the third place spot behind Las Vegas. And uh, wouldn't that be something to actually uh, put a string of wins together, get a little help uh, with some losses from those two teams ahead of us, Dallas and Vegas, and uh, forget about the whole wild card thing. Put ourselves solidly in that playoff spot. Uh, okay, so there's a couple things we're going to be talking about today. Um, one of them are going to be the positives taken away from last night's incredible hard-nosed victory over the St. Louis Blues. Personally, I had no doubt that we were going to bounce back from that horrific game in Chicago and um, at least make it exciting and competitive, and the Coyotes did just that. We're going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to also be talking about the negatives from last night's game, you know, and you come away a lot of times, come away with a victory, and everyone wants to talk about all the great things that we did. You watch the post-game interviews, and especially you listen to the post-game media, and uh, really focusing on the positives, and that's great. I think that's fantastic, especially with a team like the Arizona Coyotes that really don't get a lot of um, praise when it's due to them. And so it's always nice to be able to laud over them when they've done something well. But we can't forget that this is a team that is building. They are trying to position themselves to become a year-in, year-out competitor, if not playoff team. And in order to do that, you have to have a critical eye and look at the things you're not doing well and make sure that you make those changes. So we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, And then, of course, also I want to talk a little bit about the uh, schedule as it is laying in front of us, 12 games left to play, and all of them are huge games. And looking at that schedule... 
I believe a lot of those games are winnable. If you are like me and you actually go to these games, uh, now I shouldn't say all of them, I watch a lot of them uh, on Fox, but uh, I go to a lot of the games, and if you're like me, you watch these games from the stands, and you can get a sense that there is not a team in the NHL that the Coyotes cannot beat. I was at a game earlier in the season when we took on the Tampa Bay Lightning. Now, granted, it was early in the season. Everybody's still finding their legs. But uh, I believe the final score of that game was 7-1. to one, And we just thoroughly outplayed them from start to finish. All right, let's uh, go back to um, the first topic of the day. And that is going to be focusing on some of the positives from the victory last night in St. Louis. I know St. Louis was playing with uh, without their top goal scorer, but we're not going to worry too much about that. Instead, what we're going to do is we're going to worry about uh, or we're going to focus on just how well the Coyotes did at defending the house. I got to tell you, one of the things that I miss, having grown up in the 70s watching the Chicago Blackhawks, grandparents were season ticket holders. We were up at the top of the second balcony, but there was nothing like being at a Blackhawks game in the late 60s, early 70s, when that house was rocking. For any of you that have gone to um, the new stadium and you think about just how loud that that place is, the madhouse, they call it, uh, back in the day, it was incredible. The old Chicago stadium, pretty much just a tall concrete block and uh, wooden seats throughout, and the fans would get those wooden seats bouncing. You know, you'd grab your seat and you'd slam it up and down, and the place would just be going nuts. One of the things that uh, I miss about those days is the hard-nosed style of hockey. Now, I'm not talking about fights. I mean, I understand that we're moving away from the fighting aspect of the game. Um, I like that for the most part, but you have to finish your checks. And let me explain what I mean by that for those of you that might not know. Puck goes into the corner. You go in after the puck. The opposing team gets there first. And real quickly, they dump the puck up the ice. You have a choice at that point. You can do what we call a flyby. You skate past them and then you head back up the other way. Or you can do what's called finishing your check. Hey, look, you're only two steps away from them. When you dump that puck up the ice, you go ahead and you lay a body on that person. This is what I saw the Coyotes doing for the most part in last night's game. It's not what I see them doing on a regular basis. So when you see a dominant defensive performance, many times it's because you initiate from the beginning of the game to the other team the fact that you are going to be finishing your checks. They go into the corner, they know they're going to get hit. If they don't think that you're going to finish those checks, and believe me, folks, eight minutes into the first period, your opposition knows whether or not you're finishing your checks. They get into that corner, they're on the back check, uh, on the four check, I'm sorry, they're on the four check, they grab that puck in the corner. If they have any inkling that you're not going to finish your checks, they're going to spend a little extra time taking a look at where they should put that puck. So not only on the back check is it important to finish your checks, but on the four check. Let me explain for those of you that might not understand. 
When I say forecheck, I mean that we are going into the opposition zone and we are going to try and contain their play deep in their own zone. Puck goes into the corner, their defenseman jumps on it, your winger or your center is right on top of them right away, causing disruption to their breakout play, them getting the puck out of their own zone. Back check, meaning the opposition is coming into your defensive zone and you are getting back in time to be able to disrupt any play that might initiate from the blue line forward into your defensive zone. Okay, with that said, let me go back now to the importance of finishing a check. Whether you're on the four check in the opposition zone or on the back check in your own zone, when the other team knows that you're going to lay a body on them every time they touch the puck, they tend to, after just a few minutes into the game, start rushing their passes just a little bit. Now, in professional hockey, you can say that's ridiculous. They don't do it. But I'm telling you right now, they do. It might just be a half of a second, a quarter of a second, that they don't take to look and see where the best pass is. A great example of this was last night. I mean, probably the best example of this is last night, Clayton Keller coming in on the forecheck behind the St. Louis goal. The St. Louis goalie has gone back to play the puck. He's going to move the puck up the boards towards where Clayton Keller is coming around. Seeing that Clayton Keller is there, he couldn't move the puck up that way. The goalie had time to take a look and see who was available for him to put that puck to. Instead, he took just a quarter of a second less time seeing Clayton Keller coming around that corner, and he no-look backhand pass right onto the stick of Ponick, who had a wide-open net for the first goal of the game for the Coyotes. This is a great example of how being strong on the forecheck making sure that other team knows you're coming in and you're coming in hard and you're going to finish those checks causes a slight moment, just a slight disruption in the way that they're seeing the ice. And you, good things happen when you're pressuring the opponent to make bad choices. All right, another thing that I really liked about last night besides the hard-nosed style play, the finishing of the check is checking uh, was the... Um, Goalie, obviously, goalie position was incredible. We all knew that uh, Kemper was going to have a great game. If you've been watching the Coyotes um, this season, other than a stretch, maybe I think it was in November, when he was struggling uh, for uh, maybe eight games, ten games, uh, he has been amazing. Kemper's been just absolutely amazing. And rightfully so. You know, if you think about back to last season, when we picked him up from uh, Los Angeles, I couldn't believe that they were getting rid of this guy. I mean, he was on a tear when they let him go to the Coyotes. And uh, he, now he didn't come in and play that well for us last year, but you still knew that he had it in him. When he was pulled out of the game in Chicago on Monday night, you could see it as he's skating off the ice. He wanted to do over. He wanted to do over, and he wanted it now. And, uh, you know, great job by Rick Tockett to put him right back in there against the Blues because he absolutely stood on his head. 
He was making unbelievable good saves. But more important than flashing the leather, he was in position to make those saves. He was in perfect position on most of the shots. And, you know, there was a lot of talk in the St. Louis paper today about the uh, lack of the ability um, to hit the net uh, on the part of the St. Louis Blues. They took a lot of shots that missed the net completely. And I know that we talk about this with the Coyotes a lot, too, where, you know, hit, come on, man, you got to at least hit the net. Tyson Nash talks a lot, of, uh, a lot about it. Uh, hitting the goalie with the puck, you create rebounds, and that's great. But what we don't remember oftentimes is that when you're not just trying to hit the goalie and create a rebound, you're actually trying to score. And you see that corner open, and the goalie, is right there, but you see that little bit. It's maybe a five-inch square that's open over his shoulder, and you try and hit that spot. If you hit it, as we've seen Clayton Keller do several times, as we've seen Christian Fisher do several times, when you rifle that shot into that five-inch square, oh, my Lord, you're a genius. You're a stud. You're a sniper. But if you miss then your shot is either wide or high. When a goalie is playing a very good position game and a team starts to get frustrated at their lack of scoring, as we saw last night, you know, you've got a big goose egg up there. You're playing an opponent that you feel you should beat. You start really looking for those spots that are open. You start looking for that low corner or that high corner, and then all of a sudden you're missing completely. Nobody likes to talk about the fact that they missed, but one of the things we need to focus on is that oftentimes shots that miss, I mean, these are professional hockey players, you guys. These are guys that grew up with coffee cans or Coke cans hanging from a string from their practice goal. And they have spent years being able to hit those targets. So when you see a team like the St. Louis Blues missing shot after shot after shot, it's not because they suck. They're good. It's just that Kemper's playing that position. Your goaltender is playing that position so well, facing that shooter so well, that there's a very small window for that shot to hit and oftentimes you miss and so I think it's just fantastic that he was able Kemper was able to come back after getting pulled in Chicago and uh, not just play a great game not just flash the leather a few times which you know is always fun to see but sometimes we get lost on the fact because we like to see those flashy what I like to call TV saves we get lost in the fact that a lot of times you don't need those saves if you're playing correct position uh, goaltending. And, and that's what we saw the other day. Uh, and then finally, I want to talk a little bit about um, the fact that uh, we really spent most of last night's game in St. Louis in our own zone. And, and you know, when you're outshot 40 to, what was it, 22? When you're outshot that bad, two to one, basically, you're being outshot you're usually spending a lot of time in your own zone. You're defending a lot of the time. That takes a lot of energy. It is so much easier 
to play offense than it is to play defense. You think about the power play. When your team is on the power play and you're in the offensive zone for a minute and a half or even two minutes of a penalty, those guys are still flying around. Your offense is still flying around, moving around, picking up loose pucks. In that same amount of time, the defense is absolutely gassed. They've got nothing left in the tank. It's much easier to play offense than it is to play defense. So to spend as much time as they did, the Coyotes did, in their defensive zone, it takes a great deal of stamina. It takes a great deal of heart uh, to do that. But not only did they have the ability to withstand the onslaught and, and play as hard as they did in the defensive zone, but if you watched the game, you saw that they spent, the St. Louis Blues spent a lot of time on the perimeter. I mean, sometimes it was like watching a power play, and they were moving the puck around just great. And then when they get the shot off, there's a body in the way. Block shots, I believe they had 17 block shots, the Coyotes did. And so when you're putting your body in front of those shots, you're taking away those lanes, you're taking away the good angles uh, for those snipers to try and squeeze those shots in. It's just really hard for them to do. So a couple of things happened as we got further along into the game. Number one, and we've talked about all of them, number one, you've got a team uh, offensively that sees the defensive team, the Coyotes, are finishing their checks. They're going tenaciously into the corner. They're going to try and come up with those pucks, which means the offense, the St. Louis Blues, need to try and make those passing decisions a little bit quicker. Throws them off their game a little bit. Number two, you've got a goalie that is so on his game that he is positioning himself perfectly so as to take away most of the offense opportunity to see any kind of opening for them to score. And then number three, you have a defensive core that has decided to shut down the slot area, the center of the house, the center of the ice, and uh, keep everything out to the peripheral, and then put their bodies in front of those shots when they do come from the outside. And so those three things really combined for the Coyotes to have uh, a fantastic, hard-nosed, gritty, uh, defensive win. And how often have we talked about or certainly heard Rick Tockett talk about um, how this team is really built around the mentality of your defense can win games. And I just love it because for so many years, for decades, we've talked about Goalies win championships. And that's just a fact. That is just a fact. You can have a great team and your goalie goes into a slump in the playoffs and you are done. Four and out. You can be an okay team, squeak into the playoffs, have a goalie that is absolutely standing on his head, and you'll go deep into the playoffs. We saw it in 2011-2012 when Mike Smith decided to be a stud through the entire second half of that season and into the playoffs and just shutting everybody down. We're going to take a little bit of a break here, and then we're going to come back. We're going to talk about um, some of the positives, or I'm sorry, some of the negatives. We just 
spoke about the positives from last night's game, but believe it or not, there were some negatives as well. And um, I'm going to go ahead and we're going to talk a little bit about those negatives. And then a little bit later, we're going to talk about uh, the standings and uh, where we can really go as far as the schedule for the last uh, remaining 12 games. Stick with me. We're going to be right back. And uh, this is Coyote Call with Michael Sherpak. We'll be right back after this message. sports for you or your child and you love the strategies of hockey you're going to love the new sport of sabaki ball for more information about sabaki ball visit us at www.sabakiball.com that's s-a-b-a-k-i ball.com Okay, welcome back to segment two of Coyote Called with me, your host, Michael Cherpak. And uh, in the first segment, we talked for about 20 minutes about the good play, the quality play that the Coyotes put on last night in St. Louis. But it wouldn't be Coyote Called if we didn't call some people out. And, uh, you know, we don't like to name names here, and so we're not going to do that. But we do need to make sure to keep a critical eye on the team play uh, just so that we are always moving in a positive direction, making changes where changes need to be made. So without further ado, let's um, start out kind of flipping back to something we spoke about in the first section, what I call flybys. Flybys are when uh, you're chasing the puck, the opposing team gets to the puck first, and they make a play with the puck, pass it up the boards, dump it up the ice, whatever it might be. And instead of finishing your check, putting a body on that body, you kind of do, you, you do a flyby. You, you, you skate past the person without making contact. And there are times to do that. There are certainly times to do that. Uh, and this might sound this might sound wrong, but a great time to do that is when you've got a skill player. Um, let's go ahead and pick on uh, Clayton Keller. Not a big guy. Um, he's not mixing it up a lot. You know, we don't want him to. He, he's 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 what we have in the desert, closest thing to a superstar. And uh, so. You know, when you're coming into the corner against somebody like that, you know he's not going to mix it up with you. You know he's a smaller guy. He's a skill player. And so in that situation, yeah, maybe maybe you are, your flyby is there. Or, you know, if nothing else, you put the brakes on and, and you give him a little tap, let him know that you're going to come at him. But certainly in most situations, people going into the corners are not going to be your small skill players. Now, look. I'm not saying all the time, just saying in most situations, you're going to have the hard-nosed guys. Brad Richardson comes to mind. He's, he's going to be that guy in the corner. Golchenyuk, even though he is, uh, you know, we're looking at 
him as becoming a superstar here, hopefully. You know, he's still got the size and the grit. He's going to go into those corners. But for the most part, when you are coming at the player with the puck and they get rid of it right before you get there, you've got to finish that check. You can't do flybys. And even if you're not going to put a body on the body, um, at least put a stick on a stick. You know, Make sure that player knows that you were right there when they got rid of the puck. And I did notice in yesterday's game, not as bad as some games, but there was some of that going on. And I think it's something that going into the playoffs, you're going to have to address. The number one thing that the Coyotes are going to have to address before the playoffs, to get into the playoffs. And this is something that it's just been a year-long curse, and I, I got to tell you, I've been watching the Coyotes uh, since I moved to Arizona in 2002, and there have been very few seasons where I didn't see this as a problem. And it's, I watch other teams play, and I, I don't see this same problem with most teams. The Coyotes cannot seem to get the puck out of their own zone. I mean, it takes three, four, five clearing attempts before we can get the puck out of our own zone. And a lot of times the only reason that happened is because the other team got tired and had a line change. So now you get a little bit of a break and you can you can take your time and get the puck up the ice. This has to be addressed. I, I, I can't believe that it hasn't been addressed because it's such a glaring, you let me know if this isn't so, it's such a glaring problem for this team where they'll have the puck on their stick with no or very little pressure, and they hesitate, they hold on, they look, and by the time they try and make that first pass out of the zone or that clearing attempt, there's a body or a stick in the way. Now, let's go back to something we were talking about uh and I know I'm harping on this a lot, but it's just a big part of hockey, forecheck and backcheck. Baby, I'm telling you, forecheck and backcheck, that's it. That's hockey. And when you are forcing the other team to make bad decisions, this is when you're able to capitalize. So so let's, let's kind of look at this from this lack of clearing the zone uh, perspective. There's a couple of different kinds of players I mean, in general. In general, we can take a look at a player and go, oh, you're this kind of a player, and oh, you're this kind of a player. One kind of player sees the ice really well. I mean, really well. When they look up the ice and they've got the puck, let's say, behind their own net, in their corner, they look up the ice, things appear to them to be going slow motion, lots of space, Lots of ice. And then you have players that when they get the puck and they look up, things are moving a little quicker. They see all the bodies, and they have to make a decision based on where those bodies are or where they think those bodies are going to be. Really good players can sometimes do both. There are teams out there that have players that can get the puck and immediately release that puck onto the stick, tape to tape, of somebody 40, 50 feet away. There are some players that are so good that they can not only do that, 
But they can hesitate with that pass instead of it being a bang-bang type play. They can hesitate, take a time for you as a defensive player to move a little bit so that now you create an open space, open ice for that outlet pass. When you watch teams that are very good, you'll see just how great they are at doing this. Holding that puck for a second, this uh, on a goal attempt, on a shot attempt, same thing. You know, you hold that puck just a little bit longer, get that goalie to make his move, and then boom, there you go. The Coyotes are not that good. And I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You will not find a bigger fan. The Coyotes are not that good. So many times I see opportunities for a goal to be scored and we hold on to the puck and now there's a defense defensive player in the way or the goalie has now moved into position you know i love him and i said i wasn't going to call out names but this is just a glaring thing when you look at clayton keller he scores goals when he gets the puck and fires he's that good he can get the puck look and shoot and hit what he's aiming at, and that's where he scores his goals. When he hesitates, and, you know, when we're talking about hesitation, we're talking about maybe one second, and it's often even less than that. But when he hesitates many times, he doesn't score that goal. And, and you know, to give him credit, when he gets the puck, everybody goes to him, and so he's got to know there's going to be a body Within a second, there's going to be a body on that side of the ice with him. There's going to be a goalie moving over to make to get in position. Same thing happens with clearing attempts, passes out of your own zone. When you look up the ice and you're good and you can decide to hesitate and wait for an opening to be there, great. The Coyotes are not that good. And so often we see them with a puck on their stick, taking a look, taking a look, and then, and I mean really, in real time, it goes just like that. The next time you're watching a game, you look. Get the puck on my stick, take a look, take a look, one more hesitation, and now here's my outlet pass, or my clearing attempt, and there's a body in the way. And this has plagued the Coyotes all season long, and I gotta tell you, oftentimes, it turns into, if not a goal, a quality scoring opportunity for the opposition. And so I'm, this is something that they have to immediately address. And I mean, I, I can't believe they don't. And I don't, I don't know why. I mean, I grew up playing hockey in Chicago. It, breakout play, a breakout play was one of the first things you learned to do. It's one of the first things you learned to do. One guy goes behind the net. Another guy goes to the corner. Another guy goes up the wing. Another guy circles through the center and you break the puck out of the zone. This is fundamental, this is peewee type hockey. And for a team like the Coyotes with a coach like Rick Tockett, I just don't understand why it is taking them so long. Here we are, last 12 games of the season, and they're still struggling at getting the puck out of their own zone. Shot attempts. There's a lot of, and, and we saw this a lot um, during a losing streak um, not long ago. I think it was a five uh, or six game losing streak. And it just seemed like everybody was looking for the pass. 
So we're moving on now to the next thing that I just think was something we saw last night, and it's something that needs to be addressed immediately moving forward, is, you know, take the shot. A long time ago, um, I wrote a book, and in that book, I uh, was quoting uh, Brett Hall. And one time, uh, and I actually spoke with Brett about this, and he doesn't remember saying it, but um, I have it on good authority, uh, that uh, he was asked once, you're such a prolific goal scorer, how is it uh, that you're so good at putting the puck in the net? And he said, well, you know, I take the shot. Sometimes it goes in. And I'm sure that he was being a little bit tongue-in-cheek there, but uh, that's pretty zen right there. You know, that applies to a lot of things, not just in your taking shots on goal in hockey. We take the shot because sometimes it goes in. And so often I see the Coyotes with an opportunity a couple of times last night where the shot was there, and instead of taking the shot, you wanted that one more pretty pass, that one more pretty pass to a wide-open wing, tap in. Beautiful just like one of the good teams. We're not that good yet. We're getting there, but we're not that good yet. You need to put rubber on goal. You need to hit that goalie. You need to hit the goalie. That goalie needs to know that he's in a game. If we're constantly passing, looking for that perfect shot, that perfect goal, you're just not going to be scoring very many goals. And we've seen that all year long. Um, now, there have been times where we've scored goals in bunches, and, you know, it's kind of the funny thing. When you start scoring goals, it's easier to score goals. You know that saying? When you are not scoring goals, it becomes really difficult to score goals. You start squeezing the stick a little tighter. You know, you're just not as loose mentally. So, so it's so important for the Coyotes at this point in their development to have a shoot-first mentality and then develop, evolve into a team that can look for those tic-tac-toe plays. Don't get me wrong, I've seen some beautiful tic-tac-toe plays from the Coyotes this season, but they are far outweighed by the number of times that somebody got a puck on their stick, looked up, took the shot, and the puck went in the net. So, you know, we've really got to start looking more at those shots on goal. All right, we're going to take a really quick break here, and then we're going to come back and we're going to finish up uh, Coyote Call for today with a look at the standings as they currently are, teams that we're chasing, teams that are chasing us, and what the schedule looks like for the remainder of the season. Don't go anywhere, and we'll be right back. Sabaki Ball International. Sabaki Ball is a five-on-five team sport, very similar in strategies to hockey. For more information about Sabaki Ball, visit sabakiball.com. That's S-A-B-A-K-I Ball, Sabaki Ball. Welcome 
Welcome back, my friends. Uh, as I promised earlier, we're going to now take a couple of minutes here at the end of the show just to look at the current standings and also take a quick look at the remaining schedule. I do, of course, appreciate the attitude of one game at a time, staying in the moment, taking care of the business at hand. Uh, and that's great for the players and the coaches, obviously. But, um, you know, for us fans, there's just no way around it. We are looking at the rest of the season. We are right now looking at the next 12 games as playoff games here in Arizona. And um, so let's take a quick look at where we're at and where we're going. Right now, the Arizona Coyotes do hold down that second wild card spot and just two points behind Dallas. Um, Dallas at 77 points, the Coyotes at 75. Nipping at the heels of the Arizona Coyotes. Of course, the Minnesota Wild just won't seem to go away. We thought for a while they were going to go away, and uh, but they've been resurgent here as of late. And they are right behind us with 74 points. Colorado still hanging in there at 72, and a surging Chicago Blackhawks. And uh, this kind of worries me. Uh, they're at 71 points, three games in a row, and um, they're looking great. I mean, they are... They are really looking good. So uh, that kind of bothers me because this is a team with a lot of experience, uh, a lot of um, talent, and a lot of goal scoring. So uh, let's keep a close eye on them as we move forward. We're going to have an important game coming up against them in a couple of weeks. So it's looking pretty good right now for us as far as we're in the playoffs as of right now. And the one thing I wanted to touch on before we move on to the remainder of the schedule is, yes, it's true. We are in that second wild card position, 75 points. Dallas just ahead of us in the first wild card position at 77 points. But looking up in the division, Vegas is only at 81 points that's that's three wins for us three losses for them and so it's kind of nice to think about what it would be like to not worry so much about this whole wild card thing but just string five or six wins together here as we end the, end, uh, near the end of the season and watch the las vegas knights falter just a little bit Boy, wouldn't that be nice to end the season in third place in the division, solidly in that playoff spot. All right, let's take a quick look at where we're going. Of course, obviously, we have our next game at home against um, the Anaheim Ducks. I'm going to make some controversial statements here, but it's just based upon my uh, experience uh, watching this team as a fan and uh, with a critical eye as well. This is a winnable game. And the thing about winnable games, if you don't win your winnable games, it means you have to win your not winnable games. And that's really hard to do. So a great example would be we went into Chicago on Monday. That was a winnable game. And we didn't win. So the next night, we have to go into a game that really we're supposed to lose against St. Louis back-to-back -back nights, playing a great team like the St. Louis Blues. And then we go in and we have to win that game. And fortunately, we did. So the idea here, folks, is, is to be able to win the winnable games so that you don't have to go in and win the games 
that you're expected to lose. Uh, after the Ducks, we have a, uh, another home game versus Edmonton on Saturday, the 16th, and again, another winnable game. Don't get mad at me if you're Canadian and you're rooting for Edmonton. All I'm saying is that based on our experience playing with these guys, playing against these guys, this is a winnable game. After that, March 18th, we are at Tampa Bay. Okay, this is a game we shouldn't expect as fans to win. But as I said earlier in the broadcast, I was at a game earlier this season where we didn't just beat them, the Tampa Bay Lightning. We beat them soundly. Of course, I have a feeling they're going to want a little bit of retribution for that. All right, so, so far we've got two wins and a loss. And then later that week, Thursday, March 21st, we are playing against the Florida Panthers in Florida. But we've been in Florida. You know, I mean, we're on the road, but we've been there for a couple of days. This is a winnable game. We next go to Saturday, March 23rd, is against New Jersey. And this, is, this is a tough one. This is a tough one. It's an early game. And uh, I'm not sure what to expect out of the boys Saturday, March 23rd against New Jersey. I'm going to call that a winnable game. If things are still as tight as they are currently in the standings, I think we can get up for this game. I think we can walk into uh, the devil's house and beat these guys. Sunday, March 24th, we're playing the New York Islanders. This is a back-to-back against the Islanders. And this is a game that we should expect we're going to lose. If we win that game, fantastic. But uh, like I said, just based on just based on past experience and what we've seen out of these teams uh, so far this season, New York is an incredibly talented team. We're going to be coming off on a back-to-back, coming towards the end of a – actually, it is the end of a long road trip. And so uh, we can expect to drop that one. Ah, Tuesday, March 26th, I'm going to be there in the house against the Chicago Blackhawks. And, you know, we beat them pretty soundly earlier in the season. I believe it was 4-1. to one. They spanked us really nice the other night, 7-1. to one. And uh, so this is going to be a night to walk in. It is going to be absolutely crazy. I can tell you right now, uh, with uh, only four games left when we – three games left um, at home – after that, uh, it should be an interesting game against the Chicago Blackhawks. I'm calling this a winnable game. Next, we're at Colorado. I'm calling this a winnable game. Sunday, March 31st, we're going to be at home versus the Minnesota Wild. Boy, you know, this is going to be a tough one. I'm going to call this a game that we're going to lose, although it would probably be a really important game for us to be able to win. Tuesday, April 2nd, we're going to be at home against L.A. This is a winnable game. I know that the Kings are going to be up for showing at the end of the season that their players individually, anyway, are going to show that they're relevant. And so it's going to be a tough game. It's going to be a hard-hitting game, but it's a winnable game. And then um, Thursday, April 4th, we're going to go up to Vegas, and we're going to play the Vegas Knights. And I believe that this is a game we're going to lose. And then back home for the season finale, Saturday, April 6th, against the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, This is going to be, because it's at home, I'm going to call it a winnable game. 
I think we can beat these guys. We've beat them before, and we're going to be at home. It's going to be fan appreciation night. We're going to call that a win. So based on that, I might have might have uh, made a mistake here on the number of home games after the Blackhawks game. Let's see, it's one, I think I said three, one, two, nope, I was right, three home games after the Blackhawks. So based on everything that I just said, I do believe that we're going to need a little bit of help from some of these other teams in the race. But if we win the games that I just said are winnable, and even losing the games that we're expected to lose, I'm confident that we will still be going into the postseason for the first time since 2011-12. And we all know what happened once we hit the postseason that time. I mean, I had season tickets that year, and I mean, we were playing hockey, what, into May? That was unbelievable. Can you imagine being a team from the East Coast coming into Phoenix in May? 110 degrees out, and you're basically skating on slush in there. So uh, I hope the guys are strapping on their ankle weights and, and getting those legs in shape because I do believe, I'm going to make the prediction right here, folks, we are going to be in the postseason this year for the first time since 2011-12, and uh, anything can happen once you get into the postseason. That's going to do it for us today. I uh, hope you enjoyed the podcast. I do like to be a little bit controversial, but I also do like to try and stay somewhat uh, mainstream, try and keep people listening, keep people engaged, and also encourage you to email any comments, questions, criticisms you might have. You can email those to mlcherpok, M-L-C-E-R-P-O-K, at yahoo.com and uh, no matter what you have to say i'm going to honor your opinions and i'm going to respond to you and thanks again for listening to the show and we'll see you again after the thursday evening game versus the anaheim ducks all right thanks a lot folks and we'll see you again next time